morning, Harmony. How are we doing this morning? Good. I have to be honest, you guys aggravated me a little bit because that Yes Lord, Yes Lord song, if you were saying Yes Lord, it felt a little bit more like Maybe Lord, Maybe Lord. Okay? Let's, let's finish strong on our songs today, folks. Okay? Come on. Let's put some energy out there. Um, let me go over announcements real quick. Next week is Fifth Sunday. So we have a lot of stuff happening. We have family worship, so at 11 o'clock we'll all be in here. Spanish service, English service, and the kiddos. Um, and then afterwards we will have business meeting and potluck. So members, please bring something good to eat and uh, bring your kiddos so they can come and see you guys worship and sing songs. All right, you guys ready for that? There we go. There's that excitement again. Just keep it calm, guys. All right. Wow. Um, so I, I uh, in addition to my regular day job and then being here, also thought it would be good to be my son's soccer coach because we just don't have enough things to do at our house. And um, so he's five, and, and I've actually done this a few times. And it's funny because every time we do it, here's how it works. When we sign them up, they're like, do you want a coach? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and then they're like, we really need coaches. Please, please, please. And eventually I get guilt tripped into it, and I always end up doing it. So I should just decide from the beginning to be the coach, but, you know, that's how it works. And it's funny because soccer, I played in high school, like JV, so I know a little bit, but I'm already at five starting to reach the point where my talents are being, you know, I'm, I'm getting every last ounce of them out, and they're really ready for more. But it was uh, it's Saturday morning, game's at 8 a.m., and uh, Ty wakes up and he's got a fever. So first off, I mean, I don't want to be a terrible person, but my desire to coach a soccer team of five-year-olds that my son's not even on, pretty low. Then it's 8 a.m., and it's raining, right? But I get up, I get out there, I got the guys showing up, and, and do you ever have these moments where, like, just two cultures meet and they're just so different? So my guys get there, and we're running around, scoring goals, and you know what we're practicing before the game? How we're going to celebrate our goals. Do we want to do the fist pump? Do we want to do the Cristiano Ronaldo slide across the field on your knees, right? We're talking about this, and all of a sudden, this, this cloud of the other team arrives. And the coach sets out his cones, and he's in there, and he's got his track suit on, embroidered with the team's name on it. He lays all these cones out, and he goes, drill one. And these little five-year-olds, man, just start running around doing all these crazy drills. My guys are running around playing with flowers and celebrating goals, and over here they're doing these crazy, brutal drills. I've got six kids. He's got 12. <laughs> You look over at my bench, my two kids not playing are doing rock, paper, scissors. The loser gets squirted with the water bottle. His kids, he's got seven of them with three dads as secondary coaches with whiteboards. <laughs> and like I'm sitting there before games even begin and I'm like, the ref's name was Ricardo. I'm like, Ricardo, this is not going to be good, Ricardo. This is not going to be good. I said, any help that you can give us today, I would greatly appreciate. <laughs> and he's like, you're going to need it. <sighs> the game, I wish I could tell you this was one of those stories where what you think was going to happen didn't happen. But we lost 22 to 3. <laughs> That's right, soccer. <laughs> 22 to 3. And we don't play 45-minute halves. We play 16-minute halves. 
So basically, it was like kick, kick, goal, line up, kick, kick, goal, line up, kick, kick, goal, line up. It was brutal, but you know what the fun part was? It was only pretty much brutal for me. My kids had fun. In fact, at the end of the game, they were like, that was so much fun. We should do it again. And I'm like, no. I'm going to go home, crawl up in the fetal position, and cry. <laughs> 22 to 3. <laughs> and next week, I'm wearing a suit. All right? You got to catch me in my Adidas red shirt and shorts like I just rolled out of bed. But I share that with you, one, because it's therapeutic and I still need to vent. Um, but two, because you have these weird moments in life where such different philosophies collide and you got to figure out what to do with them right you got you got to figure out like do I just take this one philosophy I'm used to and do and just mine's good yours is bad do, do I go you know what mine's junk I've got to come over here and, and totally revamp and do something completely new or, or do you just start to realize that there's maybe a little bit of truth in both and so today what I want to do as Christians, I want us to take a look as we go through God's Old Testament law and ask ourselves, what do we do with it? Right? Because a lot of us, when we get to the portion in Exodus where we're at today, after the Ten Commandments, we start seeing all these laws that you and I look at and we go, what do I do with that? Does God really not want me to wear mixed fibers still? Um, what, what kind of animals am I supposed to be sacrificing? We, we look at these and we almost don't know how to approach them. And the mindset for a lot of us is, is we tend to just ignore it, throw it away, never read it, never look at it. And I don't want us to do that. I want us to realize it was the perfect, almighty, loving God who wrote these. And he wrote these for a purpose and for a reason and with wisdom and with power and with love. And while that value may have translated differently to those people in those times, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have value for us. We've got to be a people who can look back, see the value in what God was explaining back in the law, and understand how does that impact us today in our lives. And so let me recap where we've been, and then we'll jump into this. So throughout the series, three key verses that we keep coming back to. Right? First one, Luke 16, 13. You cannot have two masters. As Christians, you cannot have two masters. It's either God is my master, I follow him, or it's something else. But you can't walk through this life trying to succeed by the ways of the world and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Only room for one master in your life. Second, if he is your master, trust in him completely. Stop leaning on your own logic. Stop leaning on your own understanding. And trust in the Lord with all your heart. He says go and you go. That's why he's called your master. Third, along that journey, as you, the servant, follow the master, as you, the servant, trust completely in him, you will change. Just as he is holy, you will become holy. Amen. If any of those three things are broken for us, this journey is going to be pointless. It will not get us to where we want to go. And so throughout the book of Exodus, we see these people leave a life of slavery and oppression and walk and journey to this land of God's promise. 
But the greatest thing that will hurt them is not the enemies who come at them with swords. It's not the food that they lack. It will be that mentality of theirs to keep wanting to turn back to that old way of life. And it's not because they think slavery was great. It's just that's what they're used to. That's what they've lived in. That's what they understand. That's what they know. And so you and I, though we have never been slaves, and hopefully never will be, we have spiritually been through that same journey. A people in a world of sin, driven by its desires, driven by the pursuit of money, of beauty, of popularity, of fame, of all these things the world tells us to go to, and then God came to us and woke us up. And what we said, right, is there's two parts to this. First, what did God do? He freed you. He saw you oppressed. He saw you in those chains. He saw you locked up in that world. And He came in. He burst those chains open. And He sets you free. And again, we said most people don't have a problem with that. Right? Most people don't have a problem with Savior Jesus. It's the second part they don't like. It's that after He sets you free, He then wants to transform you. He doesn't just set you free to go run and do whatever you want. He sets you free with the hope that what you will realize is He didn't have to do that. This God in unbelievable love and unbelievable grace with unbelievable power came to me who did not deserve freedom and He gave it to me. And now that I have it, what I will do with it is I will give it to Him. Now that I am free, I want to be His servant. Amen. I want to follow Him. I want Him to be my master. Amen. And what we realize throughout both these steps, both in the freedom and in the transformation, the one constant is, both of these only occur if we fully rely on God. Amen. You can't free yourself and you can't transform yourself. Only He can do those two things. And so what I want you to really pay attention to is we have shifted in the book of Exodus from the story of freedom to the story of transformation. And so we need to look at our own lives and go, at what point do I experience that moment? At what point do I acknowledge God freed me? I'm not here anymore. I'm not in the world of sin. I am not moved to and fro by whatever the circumstances of life are. I am now ready for God to come into my life and to make me something new. To make me something more. I'll be honest. I think a lot of Christians, and I'm using air quotes on purpose, have only ever tasted a little bit of the freedom. They don't want the transformation. And the reason I'll tell you that is just, just look at how people are with church. When do people come to God? When they've exhausted every avenue that they have and they don't know where else to go. We love having a Savior. When we're at those moments in life where it is completely clear to us, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not powerful enough. I am on my knees. I have nowhere else to go. Then we look to God. Amen. In my lifetime, the church has never been as full as it was after September 11, 2002. 
Why? Because a bunch of people that week st stared at the TV screen and realized, I don't have control over this. I don't have power over this. Things have happened that are beyond me. I need a God. I need there to be a Savior. I need there to be someone who's watching this, someone who's loving through this, someone who's the light in this darkness, somebody that will guarantee justice. I need that. And the churches were full. And then you know what happened? We healed. We got strong again. And you know what we stopped doing? Looking to Him and looking to ourselves. I'll be honest, I even have these moments in my life. I have these dumb moments where things will be going well and I'm almost like, God, I got this. You know, I know a lot of people need your help right now. You go ahead and take care of them. I got this. And he's like, you idiot. The only reason you got this is because I'm doing all the work. <laughs> I'm doing all the You just think it's good. I'm doing everything for you. That's why it's going well. The moment I leave, guess what will happen, son? It will stop going well. And so as Christians, what we really have to decide, if we are Christians, you can't just step with the freedom. You can't just ask Jesus to show up and break the chains. These are not two independent steps. It's one process of what He does to His people. He breaks those chains and He transforms those people. And if you don't allow that to happen, you'll be stuck here forever. You'll be stuck here forever. And so where we are in Exodus is we are God working to transform his people. Now how he does this is he starts to deliver to them the law. So let's talk about the law. Why does God give the law to his people? There's four big reasons. One, it revealed the holy character of God. God comes into a people who have lived in a pagan culture and a culture that basically is taught power makes everything right. If you have authority, if you have power, you can do whatever you want. You can kill, you can split up families, you can take money, you can take anything you want, you can even call yourself God. If you have power, do whatever you please. And no one can tell you it's wrong. I mean, when you look at Egypt, right, and you look at that culture, you sit there and you go, how did that happen? I mean, at one point, right, Pharaoh gets the whole society to buy in that, hey, when little Hebrew baby boys are born, go throw them in the river. Go watch those baby boys drown. Let's talk about power. That's power. Because not only is it the sickness of mind to say that that should be the law, but then to get an entire nation to buy into that. And what's funny is you and I, sometimes we read that and we're like, that's terrible. That would never happen today. Wake up. It happens today. We slaughter more babies in this country since the Civil War than more people have died in wars for the history of mankind. And we all, well, it's legal, it's fine, doesn't matter. It is amazing how power can convince you something's right. God's law comes in and goes, I don't care who you are. If you are my people, I am the only authority. And if you're my people, all of you will act this way. And so as you go through the law, you'll find interesting things where like even if there's slaves in your culture, you can't split their families up. You can't kill them. You can't hurt them. And guess what? All of them get freedom in seven years. 
Why? Because in God's house, we're not going to treat people like that. He says there's a Sabbath. And he goes, that Sabbath's not just for you. It's for anybody and everybody in your household. You will rest. Your servants will rest. Travelers in your house will rest. Your livestock will rest. Everybody will rest. Because that's what we do. That's who we are. And so through this law, God continually sets a culture that shows He is different than everything else. He is different than everything else. And so through this law, we are revealed God's holiness. The second thing we see is it sets the nation of Israel apart. There are some of these things that you'll look at them and go, I don't don't really get how that's holy. There is literally a law where God's like, I don't want you to wear a mixed fabric. If you wear a fabric, it should be 100% that fabric. And you're like, how does that have to do with anything? His point, our people are pure. Our faith is pure. Our relationship with God is pure. How we see things is we see black and white. We see good, we see evil. We don't see gray. And I want that reflected even in the way that you dress. Even in the clothes you wear, I want our nation to scream, we are a pure and holy set-apart people. I want when you walk in, people look at you and go, you're different. You're strange. You're weird. Why? God. God. And what's amazing is, is you and I look at a lot of this stuff today and we go, well, I'm free from this. God's, Jesus Christ gave us freedom. I don't have to do that anymore. And it's true. God's not going to punish you for wearing mixed fabric. I mean, I think most people in here are wearing some cotton polyester blend today, right? You're fine. But is there still wisdom in what he was saying? Yes. He still wants you and I, even in our freedom, to realize we should look different. In almost every facet of my life, I shouldn't look like people who aren't Christians. The way I work, the way I entertain myself, the way I live, the way my marriage is, the way I parent, the way I pursue hobbies, the way I use my money, everything should scream to people. He's different. And then when people go, why? I go, because of God. Because I have an awesome God who has taught me to be different. So, not only does it reveal His holy character, but it makes you and I look different. And then the third thing, it reveals to you and I our sinfulness. Now, that seems like a weird one, right? God's going to put laws in place that He knows we can't live up to. And that's good? Why would He do that? He does that because some of us are so stubborn, we don't even know that we're in chains. He has to open our eyes to it. It's amazing how often in God's Word He patiently takes the time to show you and I what He already knows. I was meeting with a couple earlier this week and we were talking about Genesis when God creates marriage. And there's this beautiful thing that God does for Adam. Before He brings him Eve, He makes every created thing go before Adam. And Adam gives every single one of them a name. But throughout that process, Adam almost becomes bummed out because what does he realize? After all these creations, none of them are a suitable helper for him. Now guess what? God knew that before he did that. God knew in none of those animals was Adam going to find the thing that was going to complete his soul. 
So why did he do it? Because he needed Adam to understand that. He wanted Adam to go through that process of seeing thousands upon thousands of creations and realizing none of these make me full. So that that moment his eyes set upon Eve, he would go, I'm complete. And man, I realized how special that is. I, I had lost hope in this. I didn't think this was possible. And so in doing that process, what had he shown? He had taught Adam that you will cherish this woman because you realize how special she is. The same thing happens for our law. If Jesus Christ shows up with no law, you know what you and I think? I got this. I'm good. I don't need a Savior. In fact, you want to talk about societies that have given up the law of God, just look at our own. And you know what the hardest thing it is to do to convince someone these days? That they're not good. The biggest question I get from people when I talk to them that don't know God is like, why would God send good people to hell? It just seems so bad. And I'm like, these good people, who, who are you talking about? Well, pretty much everybody. We really think everybody's good? Is that, is that why you think the nightly news looks like it does? Is because everybody's good? You, you think our world looks like this because man is good? The law came to show a beautiful thing that, hey guys, you're not good. You're broken. You're sinful. You're selfish. And we go, how can it be good for me to realize that? It's good because God shows up and offers you a way out. But if you don't see that, you'll miss it. It's just like going for your monthly checkup with the doctor. There's plenty of us that maybe never go to the doctor, but are still sitting there with illnesses. And you know what will happen for us? We will never be cured. And it's not because we're not sick. It's just we never acknowledged it. But that person goes to the doctor regularly and discovers what is wrong. There's a chance for them to actually be healed. Because they admit something's wrong. Something's broken. I need help. And that's what the law did. The law came in and said, heaven is only for those that can abide by all this. And very quickly what people realize is, I can't abide by any of it. I need help. And God goes, good. I have someone to help you. The law prepared our spirits for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if we don't realize that, if we don't see it, we miss all its beauty. So many of us look at the law and go, this is just God giving us rules. In fact, there are many, even I imagine today sitting in these pews, who think that all God's morality is about like making life hard to see if you can earn heaven. It's not that at all. It was to wake you up to the truth you were already in. That you were already part of. Fourth thing. It provided forgiveness through sacrifice and offerings. Now, listen to me on this because no blood of any of these goats, lambs, birds, animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament, those sacrificed animals did not provide forgiveness to the people. There's only one sacrifice that has ever provided forgiveness for people, and that was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
But it was the faith that those people displayed in those moments. The faith to acknowledge that one, my sin does mean death. And two, I do believe that there is a sacrifice that God will provide that will wash me clean is what saved them. It's what set them up so that when Christ did die, their faith was ready to be fulfilled and the blood of Christ could wash them clean. And so brothers and sisters, this law is beautiful. Now you and I, we are blessed in the fact that because of when we live, we've got to see a lot more of this play out than they ever did. And so while all these laws may not pertain directly to us, in all of them, we still see the beauty of these four things. In these, four, in these laws, we see the character of our God. We see His desire for us to be different. We see the need of our own souls to acknowledge that we're sinful. And we see it's important for us to be prepared for a sacrifice that can make us clean. So I encourage you, as even Christians who do not live in the law, do not pass by this and miss the beauty of what it is. Miss the glory of what God provides. Because so much about who He is is shown in these words. Now what I want us to do is open your Bibles to Exodus 24. In Exodus 24 we have this moment where God, after delivering much of this law, talks to Moses and the leaders of Israel. And I want you to really see this exchange that happens because it outlines what God really cares about throughout this journey. In Exodus 24, verse 1, it says, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They hear the words, they see who they're from, and the people proclaim all the words that he has said, we will do. I want you to hear that because this is about obedience. If you and I are Christians, if we are the servants of God, if He is the Master, if He is the Lord, those words have to be our words. All that He says, we will do. I don't know how many of us have actually made that commitment. I think often today, our words are more like, all of His words that I like and agree with, I will do. All of His words that are convenient for my life, I will do. All of His words that make sense to me, that I enjoy doing, or in certain areas of my life that I've given to Him, those I will do. But we really don't mean that word, all. We really don't mean that word often. It's why often we will find inconsistencies in our lives, whether it's the jobs we've led, the way we lead our children, or the way we live our marriages, the way we serve in the community. Right? We will find these discrepancies where basically we've just told God, like, hey God, in this area, not listening to you. In this, 
I'm God. In this area of my life, my rules. Be careful, people. The covenant established with God was not about some of His words. It was all of His words. Are we living that? Verse 4. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in its basins, and half of the blood he threw on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in all the hearing of the people. And again they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abu, and the seventy elders of Israel went up and they saw God of Israel. There was under his feet as was a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for a clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Do you see what happened there? I mean, this is one of those moments in the Bible where you're like, man, I wish I could be there. So where I feel like Daniel. I am jealous. God takes the people, the tribesmen, the leaders, and after they have declared their obedience, He brings them to Him, and they get to be in His presence, and they get to share a meal with Him. Now, brothers and sisters, what I want you to see in this, this is what obedience is about. Our obedience isn't about God making life hard. Our obedience is about God removing the things that separate us from Him so that He can bring us to Him and we can have fellowship in His presence. Brothers and sisters, all the things that God warns you about not doing, it is not about Him trying to restrict your fun. It is about God realizing that each of those things pulls you just a little bit further from Him. And what He knows about you, because He built you, is that your greatest joy, your most fulfilled heart, the abundance of your spirit, only comes from Him. Realize that. He's the engineer that built you. And He knows the only fuel that makes you work is Him. Now we can ignore that and we can try to fill ourselves up with other things, but you know what will happen? It won't work. It won't work. What makes you and I run, what brings joy into our hearts is when we are there in the presence of God our Father. And so all the obedience in the world isn't about you scoring some holy points. Like, have you ever just kind of pictured in your head that, like, God's sitting there giving you a score? Like, oh, there's five points. Give some money to the homeless guy. Yes. Served at the food bank. There's some more points. Completely lied to my wife. Okay, I think that balances out, right? Am I good? You know, I should probably give five more bucks to that guy. Maybe then, maybe then the scales are even. It doesn't work that way. 
God doesn't have a scorecard for you. He's looking at you going, are you my child? Do you love me? And here's what I want you to understand, because a lot of us have done this. In our culture, we have taught you that you can separate action from emotion. And so we teach people all the time that you can just be, just feel love. Be in love. Have this emotional overflowing, and, and no one can tell you what your emotions should look like or be or how they should, you know, how they should realize themselves. God goes, junk. Uh-uh. Emotions are weak, flimsy, and easily manipulated. If you love me, it will be seen in action. And so you and I, we love to separate obedience from love, but God says that's not possible. Look at John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now I want you to notice something. Notice the order. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Understand that because some of us, we live the opposite way. Some of us sit there and go, if I keep his commandments, he'll love me. We act like the behavior has to come first to make us worthy to him. That will never work. God is not trying to put you into a position where you're earning His love or His favor. Like notice, brothers and sisters, right? He sets the Israelites free first before they stand before Him and say, all you say we will do. Let's be honest, that's not how man works. In the world of man, this whole thing would have been reversed. God would have come to the people of Israel and said, here are all my rules, here are all my commandments, here are all of my ways. If you commit to them, I will free you. And so in man's way, all of this would have happened at the beginning of Exodus. And then the people would have had to show themselves to be obedient, and then God would have said, all right, I'll free you now. And what you realize about that kind of relationship, that's a contractual relationship. That's not really a relationship of love. That's a relationship of give and take. Which you and I should be very familiar with. It's how most of our relationships are structured. How many of you are going to work tomorrow if you don't get a paycheck on Friday? Does anybody love their job enough that you'd be like, you know what, you guys don't even need to pay me. Forget the health benefits, forget the 401k, forget paying me. I'll just be here tomorrow because I love this place. No! Right? Most of us are like, no way! The only reason I'm there is for the paycheck. God doesn't function that way. We are taught in this culture, if you have something of value, you get something for it first, then you exchange it. It's not how God works. God came to these people and asked of nothing of them. He freed them. He took them from a world of slavery. And then he said, these are my ways and laws. Will you follow me? And when they choose to follow him, what they show him is love. They obey because they want to. They're his servants 
because they want to be His servants. Brothers and sisters, if God wanted to force you to act a certain way, He could force you. He has given you freedom to choose to follow Him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Look at 1 John 5.3. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. All God's laws are transformed when you think of them this way because no longer is this about, eh, do I want to do this? Does this make sense? Is this fun? Is this enjoyable? What you realize about all the laws are is about getting me close to my Father. Do I want to be closer to Him? Yes. Then I'll obey Him. It's like, have you ever done something nice for somebody because you wanted to let them know how much you cared about them, but you actually hated the thing you were doing? Right? I mean, Nicole's aunt and uncle had me sit through an opera with them once. And. Yeah. <laughs> That's painful. I mean, I was just, I mean, like, okay, wow, this is ouch. But you know why I did it? Because we love them. And they really enjoyed that we did that with them. And it made them feel special that we took the time to do that. I sure hope not to do it again. (laughs) But if they ask me to, I probably will. And not because I want opera in my life, but because it will make them feel loved. We regularly make decisions like this. You and I act like when we obey God, it's this logical, does this benefit my life? It's not about that. Do you want to show God the Father you love Him? Do you want to show God the Father that He is the most important thing in the world to you. That's how you show it, is you show it through obedience. Jeremiah 7.23 But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. And so, brothers and sisters, what becomes important in obedience is not just that you know the laws, but you know the one who wrote them. Do you know why those people said at the very beginning, we'll do all that you've asked? Because this was the God who broke free those chains. This is the God who had eliminated Pharaoh. This was the God that had saved them. They didn't sit down and analyze the laws to decide if they were just or good or fair. All they cared about is who they came from. They came from our Savior. They came from our Father. We will do them. It reminds me of Jesus when John chapter 10, verse 1, he talks about, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know my voice. And they will follow me. His point being, No one else can trick them. Because it's not what I'm saying they know. It's my voice they know. It's when I call, they know to come. It's an amazing thing because I I see this happen a lot of times like at um, soccer practice or like McDonald's or Chuck E. Cheese or all these places where there's like a gazillion kids. 
it's really weird because all of us who are parents, like 99% of us have the same name, right? All of us are called dad. All of us are called mom. Yet there's this moment where everybody's screaming and a million kids are saying dad or mom that in the midst of all that noise, you will hear that one little voice go dad and you drop everything and turn. It's not because they said dad. It's because that voice you know. And that voice means something to you. That voice carries with it love and trust and a relationship. And so when that little voice says, Dad, you stop. You listen. Because everything in your world is in that little voice. That's what God the Father is asking from you. Some of you have gone down this journey and all you think we're talking about is the rules that you need to memorize. And what God's saying is, hey, listen for my voice first. I care more that when I speak, you know it's me than you memorizing every word I've ever said. How many of you today, when God calls you, you go, Father, I'm here. Father, I hear you. Father, I'm yours. That's what makes a Christian. Not someone who lives by rules. Not someone who's memorized the word. But someone who hears the voice of God and says, Father, I am here. As we get ready to take the Lord's table, Remember the same thing about this bread and this grape juice. It's not just dry little pieces of bread and it's not just little cups of grape juice. It's us acknowledging the sacrifice of our Savior upon a cross. The brokenness of His body and the blood that He spelt to break those chains free from us. And when we take this, we're not just saying, Jesus freed me. What we're saying is, He freed me, and with that freedom, I choose to be His. With that freedom, I desire to be His servant. As the Word of God says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than a king anywhere else. With the freedom I have, I serve God. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we come before You, Lord, as Your children. Father, what You have done for us is beyond words. You came to us in our unbelievable need. You came to us when we didn't know You. You came to us when we had turned our backs away from You and had embraced sin. And God, in that moment, You gave us everything. Father, with that freedom, we choose to serve You. We choose to obey You. We choose, Father, to show You that we love You above all. And as the people that day said, all You have said, we will do. We love You, Father. And in the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Ray's going to lead us in a song here as she does that. I'm going to be up here at the front. Brother James will be at the back. If there's anything on your heart you need to pray about, you feel free to come up. After this song, we will all partake as a family in the Lord's Supper and then we'll be dismissed for today. Maria? Let's all stand.
Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 it says for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on that night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink in it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Brothers and sisters, as we take this, remember what you are proclaiming is that you are a child of God. That Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That you believe He died on that cross for your sins. And that three days later, He rose. You are proclaiming not only is He your Savior, but He is your Lord. God's Word instructs us that we always at these moments examine ourselves. One, if there is any sin that we have not laid at His feet and asked for repentance, we do that first. Second, if there is any forgiveness that we are refusing to give to another brother or sister in faith, we do not partake in this and we offer that forgiveness first. Remember those things as this comes your way because we do this with a heart that is free and full of joy, remembering what our God has done for us. Dearly, Father, please be with this bread and remind us that it is the representation of our, your son Jesus' broken body. We thank you, Lord, for the pain he took that we deserved, that he, Father, was willing to be our sacrificial lamb. 
Father, bless those who take this. May they be reminded of their relationship with God and the beauty it is to have Him as our Lord. Father, in His name we pray. Amen. chapter 14 it says in verse 22 as they were eating he took bread and after blessing it broke it and gave it to them and said take this is my body as a family let us eat it says and he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank of it and he said to them this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many truly I say to you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. Dear Holy Father, as we take the fruit of the vine, Lord, may we remember the blood of Christ. Just like that blood that was sprinkled on the Israelites to proclaim that they were your people, Lord. It is Christ's blood that is sprinkled on us to remind you that we are your children. Father, we thank you for the way it washes us clean, for the forgiveness it gives us. And for through it, Lord, not only are we washed clean, but we are made your children. Father, what a wonderful thing it is to call you Father. Amen. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
on that night that after they had eaten, they shared a hymn. And so Marie is just going to lead us in a closing chorus, and then we'll dismiss from there. Let's all stand. I think everybody knows this one. We're going to sing. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place and I Spirit of the Lord. There are sweet expressions on each face, and I know that it's the presence of the Without a doubt we'll know that we have been revived when we shall leave this place. And whether you believe it or not, we will leave this place today. <laughs> I thank you for your patience today. I hope the word was blessing to you. 
As always, it's a blessing for me to worship with you. Remember, He gave you a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline, and you have a mission. Go make disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. Have a great week. Love you all.